good to know that you are here. It's, it is a blessing to be here. Welcome visitors and guests. Welcome members, brothers and sisters. My name is Samuel Echevarria. I'm a deacon here. I also have the blessing of uh, preaching God's word to you this morning as uh, our, our beloved pastor Samuel is out uh, in Romania uh, with his precious family. Um, we, we, we ask for traveling mercies and prayer as they return on Thursday. So uh, Lord willing, uh, the family will be with us next Sunday and we will uh, get to worship and praise the Lord together. Uh, and trust me, Romania is a beautiful place. I know this. So I, I know they're having a wonderful time. Um, I don't usually see this in sermons, but uh, for those of you who were here last week, I preached last week. And uh, as a good academic, I made a mistake. So I'm going to correct it because everything's being recorded. So uh, I mentioned uh, Francis of Assisi, and that's, I said that that is the town that he was born is where my name der derives from. But Assisi is Italian. I was thinking of Francis Xavier. So Assisi began the Franciscan monks. Xavier began the Jesuits. I've been reading about both of these, these, these groups. Uh, so my apologies to any Jesuit and Franciscan supporters for that confusion. Uh, uh, um, but I did want to be clear. Uh, I'm not Italian. Uh, uh, um, not that that's a bad thing. Um, um. With that out of the way this morning, uh, I have the the wonderful joy of preaching the book of Ruth to you. And as a brother told me this morning, thank you. We haven't heard from this book in a long time. Now, I assume that is uh, a slight exaggeration because I believe uh, three weeks ago uh, or two weeks ago you were preached uh, from the book of Ruth by Pastor Van Court. Uh, I want to give thanks to him. I listened to the sermon. It was wonderful. This is one of those curious times where uh, Samuel and I discussed this sermon and said, yes, I will preach from the book of Ruth, but there would be something different. The Lord has given us a different message to share this morning, and I think they work together wonderfully well. As Pastor Van Court spoke of God's sovereignty today, I'm going to speak about this wonderful little phrase we heard in the uh, uh, Baptist message, the agency of man. What is it like for those in faith to live their faith out? as we see in the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, and I, and I do pray that you do, if not, there are Bibles in front of you. Um, if you do not have access to a Bible, please raise your hand. One of the ushers will bring one to you. We will be on page 222 of the book of Ruth. Page 222 of the book of Ruth. But I would like to begin by reading the last three ver four verses of the book of Ruth. That is on page 224, chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nishon, Nishon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have recorded the workings of your people, but more importantly, Lord, that you have recorded your work among your people, your work among all the nations, that, Lord, the, this Bible is your story, Lord, not ours, that you are sovereign over all history, and, Lord, that you have moved nations and moved people, Lord, by your gracious will to that wonderful day when Christ was born. And, Lord, we pray uh, that this morning we would be hearts fully opened, eyes wide open, uh, joyfully ready to receive the blessing of the preaching of your word, 
Lord, apply it deep into our hearts. Make our lives reflect it. Let our faith be alive, not dead, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the book of Ruth. We had a wonderful uh, experience this morning where we were talking about, we were in John 14 this morning in Sunday school, but yet we started talking about the Old Testament and how sometimes Christians don't value the Old Testament. I mean, I know that's true. I haven't seen that in this congregation. We love the Old Testament. Our pastor faithfully preaches from the Old Testament. I think we have been discipled to see Christ rightly in the Old Testament as well as to use the Old Testament for the edification of our own lives. So, but some Christians have missed the beauty and power of the Old Testament. And for me, this was hit home in the book of Ruth. I love this book. There was a time when I only had three children, and the fourth was coming. Uh, praise the Lord, a boy. And there's no worries there, five boys. Uh, but when Joshua, my four-year-old, was, uh, was, was being baked in the womb, I wanted to give him a present when he was born. And I prayed. I said, I want, you know, we haven't had a, a, a child in a, little time, in a long time. I want to begin this one, you know. And I apologize to my three older sons. I'm a much better father than I was. I didn't do this with you guys. Uh, I was not uh, as mature. But that's no excuse. I hope I'm better now. But I wanted, to, I wanted to give my son Joshua a gift. And the Lord kind of said, you know, why don't you read my word to prepare yourself for the coming of another son? Why don't you plant my word? So I decided to read the entire Bible in a month. Uh, an interesting challenge. I have to be honest, I failed. Did not read the entire Bible. But for a good two weeks, I was rolling through it. Uh, every day, an hour, 90 minutes a day. I had never done that in my life. It was an incredible experience. And I pray, please try that. If you've never done that, try to get through the Bible in, in 30 days. It's a commitment, of course, and you'll have to sacrifice some things, but it does bring God's word to you in a slightly different way. It's a story. It's an incredible story. It's got lots of action. It's better than any blockbuster you'll ever see. There's things happening. There's explosions. Well, there's, I'm not sure. well, there's some explosions. Um, but what struck me was when I got to Ruth. For the first, I, I read it in order as I think we should always approach the Bible and say it's good to sometimes read the Bible from Genesis 1 through Revelation. I approached in order, and what I had been through is, is God had lifted me up to the mountaintop so I could see his work on earth, from the creation itself down to how God was, was, was graciously moving people around, creating kingdoms, judgments, and so forth. And as, we, as, I, as, I, as the history, I call it, this is the grand history. It, trust me, you won't want to put it down. It's a page turner. When you approach the Bible that way, it's like, I'm going to read this as kind of the page turner that it is. And it's not the same thing as reading for meditation or for study. This is a different kind of reading. You're reading to, to, to let it grasp the story, grasp you. I was, I was like, I can't put Genesis down. What's going to happen next? And I knew what was going to happen next, but I was so in love with the story that I, I had trouble going to sleep because I, I will come, keep reading it. We get to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the story is grand. And you see the grand actors, the patriarchs, the, those who are at the top of the, God's plan, right? And then you get to Judges, and that continues. But then something interesting happens. 
When you finish Judges, you get this funny little book about a family. God does not speak in Ruth. There is no angel that brings a message from the Lord in Ruth. It's a relatively unknown family. So far, I've been carried by the great families and the great action of the scriptures. There's no war, no great judgment by God. There's just a family going through some tough times. And when I got to this point, I wept because I think God had taken me through his sovereign, glorious plan of how he was working through the nations, and then he drops me in the middle of a family to show me how faith works at this level, right? Because for me, Ruth is the first book that I see myself really in. I'd like to be Moses, but I'm not, okay? I, I see the, the actions of Moses and the time. He's a great man of God. But it is in Ruth that I see us, families going through crisis, and there is no great kingdom being created around them that they know of. They're not part of the political system, so to speak. Just a family. And I wept because it was the sweetest story I had read. When you look at it that way, God is in Ruth, the book. God is working in his people. And what this book shows us is the ramifications of how God, although if you read this book, you start to get a pretty, if you read before Ruth, all through there, we've done this before, we start to get a little angry. He's, ah, Israelites, uh, why? You know, why? You know, people, Noah, you're the only one, why? Just listen to God. Just obey God. No. But in Ruth, we get to see, God says, I'm going to show you how I am in the hearts of my people, good and bad. And I'm, you're going to get to see that. So as we open the book of Ruth, we see these pictures, what I'm calling these pictures of faith, these pictures of individual faith. And I'm going to give you three pictures of faith today in a conclusion. Number one is Naomi, a picture of weak faith. Naomi, a picture of weak faith. Ruth, a picture of new faith. And finally, Boaz, a picture of strong faith. I want to compare and contrast these two, these three pictures for us and see how they apply to our lives today. I think the grand theme of Ruth is, is God's sovereignty and redemption. But I think one of the threads running through Ruth is also that of the foreigner. That of the foreigner. And this also came home to me in Romania because Diane and I, finally realize what it means to be a foreigner, right? One of the most crushing blows to us was at the supermarket. For at the supermarket, and my wife will attest to this, and I hope she's not sinning right now in anger, but the carts at the supermarket have four independent moving wheels. We could not figure how to turn the thing. We couldn't figure how to make it go forward because it wanted to go wherever it went. And for the life of us, every time we went to the supermarket, we kept asking, why would you design a cart like this? We were foreigners. We didn't understand the culture. The Romanians didn't seem to mind. But for us, we like wheels that are safe, put in the front or in the back. I'm not sure how they go. And then we can guide our cart through the supermarket aisles. But this cart reminded us, is, this was a small example. We're foreigners here. That's just one example, of course. The supermarket itself is a great example of being a foreigner. Where are things? What is this? Why do I have to weigh it this way? And so forth and so on. 
In Ruth, I think the, the theme of the foreigner is also very strong. It weaves itself through these pictures of faith. So let us first look at Naomi. Naomi is an interesting character. Um, much has been made, I think, rightly, that Naomi is a woman of faith and has, is blessed by the Lord eventually, but her response, as Pastor Van Court said, is sometimes theologically good, but sometimes theologically bad. But let's look at Naomi, where this story opens, because I think Ruth is also bookended by the last verse of the book before it, Judges. In Judges 21-25, we read, In those days there was no king in Israel, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So again, you're moving through, you're like, oh, okay, God, you just gave us this picture. And then Ruth opens, and Ruth is set in the time of Judges. And as the story opens, we see this this introduction, and I believe Naomi is a picture of this. Naomi and Naomi's family are a picture of this doing what is right in your own eyes. Why do I say that? Because the story opens with a famine in the land, And the husband of of Naomi named Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons decide to leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. Now, was this a good idea? Was this a good decision? Well, I always talk to my kids. I said, that was a bad decision. You're making bad decisions, sons. Well, I would probably have told Elimelech, this is a bad decision. Why? You are an Israelite. The gift of you, for you, is the promised land. Why are you leaving? Why are you leaving? Yes, there was a famine in the land, but the text does not give us much detail as to this question, was this a good decision or not? I think this was not a good decision. This was uh, moving away from the protection of the promised land, even if there was a famine, to go to, of all places, Moab, not a good place to end up settling with your family, especially given... The previous history. If you would turn to me to Numbers 25, Numbers 25 on page 133, you will see one of the pictures of Moab. Moab was a place of rampant idolatry, worship of gods that were one of the most odious to the Lord. They did terrible things. And as Israel was camped in and around Moab, we read in Numbers 25, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. So on the backdrop of that fact, Elimelech decides, let's go back to Moab. Things should probably work out okay now. I think no. I think that's a sign of weak faith on the family, on this family. And while they're there, they do that other thing that one would say was not probably a good idea. And that is, after Elimelech dies, the sons of Naomi take Moabite wives. Again, one wonders, what was happening in this family? What was their faith in the God of Israel, why did they not see that this was going to be a problem? Taking Moabite wives, we already see from Numbers. And if you continue to read Numbers, there's a story of Phinehas that is one of the most 
heartbreaking stories, the sin of the Midianites and Moabites around Israel, and the sin of Israel yoked to these people and their God, uh, is a terrible, terrible, terrible scene. Um, One wonders, what was this family thinking? How did they get to this point? And so, as the story continues, we see, we know, you know from having this uh, book preached to you recently, that the sons die, and now we see this picture of Naomi as enduring pain and suffering. And she goes on to talk about her pain and suffering. And now she has two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. But interestingly, what's their response to this? Their response seems to be love. Their response seems to be loyalty. Their response seems to be compassion for Naomi, even though they have lost their security. They are in a pretty tenuous place. This isn't an issue of uh, when you are a widow of, of you know, struggling emotionally and so forth. There's a good chance that without incredible intervention, Orpah and Ruth knew they were probably going to die early deaths. They had no one if they stayed with Naomi. And here's again another picture of Naomi's faith. Much has been made again that, that Naomi was, was, was in the Lord, with the Lord, turning to the Lord in her pain and suffering, and there is good to that. But let us look at what happens when Naomi responds to her daughter-in-law's request to stay with her. Naomi has decided to go back to Bethlehem. Verses 1, 11 through 14, read with me. I mean, uh, chapter 1, verses 11 through 14. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So here we have one of those interesting pictures. I've read this two ways. One, wow, Naomi really loved her daughter-in-laws. There was true love there. She cared about their physical well-being. And she said, look, you come back with me, the odds are stacked against you. Go back to your people. So I think Naomi truly loved, the text I think wants us to know that Naomi truly loved her daughter-in-law. She cared about their welfare. She cared about their pain that might extend if they stayed with her. So maybe Naomi was a, a witness of God's love. But also one wonders, and some commentators have wondered, maybe it wouldn't have been good for Naomi to return with two Moabite daughter-in-laws. Foreigners. Foreigners not well liked by Israel. What would have happened? Naomi would have had to have admitted that there were some problems as they were away, that they made mistakes. The text is not clear on that, but some biblical commentators have said maybe her motives weren't entirely pure because it would have been difficult. Uh, maybe she thought they were going to stay in Moab forever and never return to Israel. That's why they allowed the sons to marry Moabite wives. But this shows us that I think this family had strayed from the Lord. Physically, to be sure, they were no longer in the promised land. Ethnically, to be sure, they were no longer among the promised people. But spiritually, to be sure, they were not following God's law. 
But there's also one more verse, and that is verse 15, that I think is extremely difficult for me to read, even in this context. For Naomi continues. She says, I care about your welfare. Please don't come with me. But then she continues. You see her true heart. And she said, verse 15, chapter 1, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. What has Naomi just done to Orpah and said and, and wants to do the same to Ruth? She is saying, go back to your false idols where you would die without the comfort and grace and knowledge of the true living God. Go back. I know the true living God. There is no God beside him. I think that's in the commandments. Why would Naomi send these women that she loved back to their death? Their spiritual death. I don't know. If anything, I would imagine we would want Naomi to say, you want to come with me? Okay, we're going to put our trust in God. You're a Moabite woman, but we're going we're to work that out. But you will worship the true God. And that's the most important thing that any human being can ever do. And that is fall in love and worship the true God. Move away from darkness into light. And even later, the, the text shows is that even as Naomi returns, she's still struggling with her faith. She's still bitter. Her name is changed. And a side note here, which again, I don't want to stretch the text, but when the text tells us that everyone in Bethlehem recognized Naomi, I wonder, I guess the famine wasn't that bad if most everyone made it through. They were there. They said, is this Naomi? Maybe Naomi should have stayed. Maybe Elimelech should have stayed and had faith in God. But they didn't. How does this apply to us? If you believe in Christ and him crucified, if you have repented of your sins, if you worship God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray that we are engaged with people to give them the message that saved us, the gospel of Christ. But do we, like Naomi, inadvertently maybe, push people away from the gospel by our own behavior, by our own thoughts, by the way we express fear and mistrust and doubt, by weak faith? Is that possible? I think it is. God's sovereign election will save those whom he saves. But maybe he will choose to save those through other vessels when we could have been the vessel of grace. But our weak faith inhibits our evangelism. So one way that I look at this is how do we deal with fear? How do we deal with uncertainty? How do we deal with lack of control as Christians and project that to the world, to the communities around us who are looking at us to say, oh, you are a Christian? Okay, I see you have control. Uh, I see you have security and fear in your life. How do you respond? Do you respond by trust? Or do you respond in your own human agency, your own human behavior to try to control the situation, try to make it better? Will you up and move your family to Moab, away from the promised land? Will you worship other things? Or will you be true to the God who has saved you? This is a picture of weak faith that I think Naomi has given me uh, alongside 
other things in this book of Ruth. And I hope that's something that you can look at for your own self, study for your own self, meditate on and see. Naomi was really struggling. She really was struggling. She was in pain. She lost her husband and her sons. Naomi was probably fearful of her own imminent death. She had nobody. And maybe this is the call to return back to Bethlehem is to say, I've got nothing left in Moab. I definitely have no security here. I have, I have no men to take care of me. Maybe there will be a redeemer in, in Bethlehem. So there's a picture for us of Naomi's weak faith. Now I'd like to turn to a picture of Ruth, what I'm calling a picture of new faith. The Lord gets, shows us in many places in the Bible somebody who is stepping into a faith in God that we get to see right from the beginning. So as Naomi tries to convince Ruth to leave, she's already convinced Orpah to leave, to return back to her gods. And let me remind you, these are not good gods to return back to. These are gods where you sacrifice your children to. Ruth has a wonderful response. Again, one of the most blessed verses in the Bible. In Ruth, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we read, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do to me do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Naomi goes to Ruth and say, says, you know, you're not going to have a husband. It's going to be hard for me. Go back. Ruth, with her new face, says, no, you know what? I'm taking it up a notch. I don't care about my life. I care about you. But I think Naomi has shown something to Ruth, even in her weak faith where God has grabbed Ruth's heart to say, your God will be my God. What a statement of faith. To leave your God and to cling yourself to the God of Israel, knowing full well that you will probably die in the process. And I think that's key. Ruth was saying, I'm going to go with you. We're both going to die soon probably. But out of something... Something tells me in my heart that it is your God in you that I need to be with. And I'm making a commitment. Pastor Van Cort had a wonderful uh, symbol. He said, this is like the most beautiful marriage uh, uh, covenant you can make. Right? Where you go, I will go. When you die, I will die with you. And there was just a wonderful a CNN article about this couple married 63 years who died within minutes of each other. It reminded me of this. You know? I pray that, that that's something that we look forward to. I said, Lord, take us both together at a fruitful time. Uh, or don't leave me alone, Lord. You know. But uh, my wife is much stronger than me. She can handle it. Um, did Ruth already believe in the Lord at this point? I mean, that's the question here. The, the, the text seems to, 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 to show us that we are a picture of new faith here. And this is important. But this picture is also an interesting picture of the foreigner coming into a new place. A foreigner leaving everything they've known behind. Because remember, where are they right now? They're in Moab. Naomi's been the foreigner. And Ruth has been in her home culture. 
But she has decided, I will go with you to this other land. I will worship your God, and I will die with you. And this is a wonderful picture to me of the gospel. Those of us who do not know the light of God in Christ, we are in the kingdom of darkness. And when somebody preaches the gospel to us, and by God's grace, we respond. We are drawn to the light. We make this covenantal promise. I'm leaving the darkness. I'm leaving this kingdom, and I'm going to go with you, and your God will be my God. The God you have opened the word to me, he will be my God. And where you die, I want to die with you, with God. I think this, 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 why this verse is so powerful is not only because it's a wonderful expression of an incredible new faith, I think it's a picture of the gospel of Christ itself. We've had the blessing here of many baptisms. Uh, we've had youth who have come to faith in the Lord, but we've also had some adults come to faith in the Lord through the ministry of the brothers and sisters here. And for Mary Catherine and Vanessa, those that I was aware of and and, and was able to to fellowship with, this is the commitment I heard them make. I'm leaving the darkness. I'm leaving this kingdom, and I'm going to go to a foreign land, your kingdom. But your God is going to be my God. And no longer will I live in this horrible, idol-worshipping, evil land. I'm going to the promised land. They made that commitment. It's an incredible, incredible commitment that only God can do. Only God can reveal himself to people such that they want to leave the thing they love. The Bible is clear. All men love the darkness, and they hate the light. But yet in our own weakness, God uses us to preach the gospel. And then people see the light. They finally see their own darkness, and they make this Ruth faith proclamation, this Ruth covenant. That is an incredible blessing. That is an incredible miracle of faith. And I think Ruth is a picture of that. Just remember, she's going to her death in a place that she's never been. But she'd rather do that than stay alive with her family in a place of darkness. No? To be honest, I'd rather die in America than Romania. Uh, But if the Lord called me to Romania to die there, I know he's there because the church is there, because I'm there. Uh, You know, one of the prayers uh, of the saints for Micah in Romania, and 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 I, 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 I appreciate the honesty of the brothers there and sisters. They gathered to pray, the Romanian brothers and sisters who heard about Micah's critical state. And afterwards, after he was well, I spoke to one of the brothers, a pastors recently, and he said, we prayed. We got together one night. We prayed and prayed and prayed. But we started with Thanksgiving. I said, yes, praise the Lord. What did you give thanks for? He said, we gave thanks that Micah was in Germany and not Romania. And they were thankful. They said he probably would not have made it here. They understood that through God's grace, And his sovereign will, my son did not get sick in Romania. Now, he could have gotten sick in Romania, and also God would have saved him. But for the brothers and sisters there, they struggle with health care. They struggle with that uh, availability of good health care. So they started their prayer night to say, thank you, God, 
because you put him five minutes away from one of the best children's hospitals in, this, in the country, which makes it one of the best children's hospitals in the whole continent of Europe. That is the God we worship. And although we were foreigners, God was there. He was five minutes away in a hospital blessing us with doctors and nurses who cared for our son. And finally, I want to look at Ruth as she continues her journey of new faith. She goes back to Bethlehem, and of course we see this wonderful picture. What does Ruth do? She sacrifices. She is completely sacrificial. Naomi tells her, go do this, and sure, I will do whatever. We're going to die, but before I die, I want to obey. My love for you is deep. Your God is my God, and I will go and glean field. I will go and glean green at the fields for those Israelites who had been obedient to the law. For those Israelites who had been obedient to the law. For us, what does this mean? It means that we cannot, first of all, have this desire to worship the true God without his presence, without his touch, without his grace upon our hearts. So, friends, if you do not know this God that I'm talking about, if you do not know his son, Jesus Christ, that he came and lived the perfect life to fulfill the law that we could never fulfill in order to ensure that our judgment would be innocent in front of a holy God, a righteous God, who must punish the guilty. If you do not know that this Christ was crucified on a cross on the third hour and that he paid this sacrificial penalty for our sins, and that through his resurrection, he proved that he was who he said he was. He was co-equal with the Father. He was God in the flesh. And through his ascension, he has now allowed for us to have the Holy Spirit in us if we profess faith through repentance in him as the Son of God. If you do not know this, you cannot make this profession of faith. You cannot say, I will travel from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I don't want to be a foreigner. I, I, I don't want to be at home here. I want to be a foreigner for that instant when I go to be in the promised land and then I am now a citizen of the kingdom of God. You cannot make that response unless you turn to the Lord in faith and repentance. So I ask you, if you have not made that commitment, if you have not made that journey, please come talk to one of us. Come talk to me or any of the deacons or any of the members here and they would love to show you how they made that journey, how God grabbed them and took them to the new kingdom through the blood of Christ. And for us as believers, what do we do with somebody who seems to be showing new faith? How do we instruct them? How do we make sure that we're not a stumbling block to new faith, but an encourager? How do we make sure that we lift up Christ and him crucified, that we focus on God? Because Ruth, Ruth was theologically a PhD to Naomi's bachelor's degree. Ruth went way over. Naomi and goes, I don't care about husbands. I don't care if you can't have any sons. There's something going on here. I'm ready to leave my country to be with your God. Ruth didn't start that conversation out with that theme. She said, your physical safety is important to me. I love you. And Ruth says, I don't care about physical safety. I care about God. I care about my love for you. And in today's Sunday school lesson, we were talking about John 14 and the love of God. And what does Christ say? If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And Ruth was doing that. 
She was making that commitment to obey the commandments. Even if Naomi wasn't the perfect picture of faith. But God uses imperfect pictures of faith every day. All of us here are examples of that. Praise be to God. Are we ready to harness and instruct new faith? Are we ready to disciple new faith from wherever it is to the next step? Building encouragement, building knowledge of the word, building prayer, building discipleship. Or do we just kind of go about our business and ignore that? Why I say this is be sensitive. Be sensitive to those around us who may be showing signs of seeking the Lord, for the Lord is touching their hearts. Let us be sensitive to that. Well, finally, lastly, I'd like to look at a picture of strong faith, Boaz. There's not a lot here, but boy, what is here is so good. And I think Boaz is a picture of a faithful Israelite who, unlike many who were doing whatever was right in their own eyes, this man had the law planted in his heart and he was living it out. How do I know that? Little keys here and there. Chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. We get to meet Boaz. Boaz walks in. He, chapter, uh, verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Now, how many of us go to work and begin our work day, walk into the office and go, The Lord be with you. Uh, we should do that. We should probably do that. I might do that this fall with all my classes. I'm going to do a little experiment. Boaz was right away claiming his relationship to the God of Israel, and he wanted the Lord to be with his workers. And they knew Boaz as a man of faith because what was their response? The Lord bless you. It is good to work for a strong man of faith. Amen? When you, see, when you, when you meet a strong man of faith out in the business world, wow, it's good to be among somebody like that. I remember we had a brother here named Jared who's a Marine. He called me one day. And he said, what's up? Because I have a new commanding officer. I said, oh, that's good. And usually these are not good conversations because they sometimes struggle. He said, he's one of the strongest Christian men I've ever met. And I said, really? He said, you know, he said, he walks around with his Bible everywhere. You know, he's an officer. And he counsels people in Christ. And he says, don't ever be afraid of being a Marine and a Christian because there are many Christians who are, uh, many Marines who are not Christians, obviously. And he was so excited because he had never met somebody this high up who was out and out. The, he walked in and said, the Lord be with you. He was so excited. I remember we had a wonderful long conversation. He's like, I'm so happy God has blessed me. I have a man who can mentor me in my professional life. You know, I, just, I, I always remember that. So this is Boaz. Um, we have here someone who knows the Lord, someone who is understanding that he must be prepared to do the Lord's work. And I, I won't go read here, but when Ruth goes to the field of Boaz, by God's sovereign grace, Boaz is ready for the foreigner, right? Boaz is following the Deuteronomic law to be ready to have grain and food for the foreigner. Another key that Boaz is a faithful Israelite. And then later on, we see from Boaz that as Ruth comes to him and basically offers herself under his protection, Boaz says something interesting. He goes, you know, you could have gone with younger men, but pray, you know, bless you, daughter. I'm an older man. 
It's interesting. The text is not clear, but it's possible Boaz was heirless, had no wife, or had no children. Naomi had no children. She was worried about her security. She was worried about her family name being lived on. Boaz also may have been in the exact same position, but we get no, we get no indication that Boaz is worried about this at all. He is going about following the Lord in his faith. He is worshiping God. He is working in the fields. He is running a business. He is a man of strong faith. Then I also know one more thing about Boaz. And we read in our, uh, in our James reading today. But I think Boaz was ex- especially sensitive to the foreigner. Why? Because of who his mother was. Boab's mother is Rahab. Rahab, that woman who should have been destroyed at Jericho. And yet, because she saw God moving, remember her wife's words, everyone here is scared. We know God is doing this. There is no other explanation. I'm going to help you. You might be the foreigner spies from the Israelite camp, but your God is in control. And what did Joshua say? Destroy Jericho, for they are sinful, but protect the house of Rahab. And the text tells us Rahab went and lived with the Israelites. And this is her son. The result of a foreigner coming in, worshiping the true God, and raising up a son who also worshiped the true God in a wonderful picture of strong faith. Maybe it's because of that. Maybe it's because when Boaz was young, he heard the story over and over again about how his mother was saved from destruction. And when he turns to the Lord in thanksgiving, he goes, Lord, I will follow your law. You want me to have a piece of my land always ready for the foreigner, for, the, for those who are outside of the people of Israel, the poor? I'm there. And God brings Ruth into his life. So looking at Boaz and Naomi, you can see this, 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 these poles of faith. And yet, do not be mistaken, God uses them all. The weak faith, the strong faith, and the new faith. Because lastly, we have a picture of redemptive faith. We know the story, and it is a beautiful story. It is one that when you start reading from Genesis and you get to Ruth, it makes you cry. Because as one, as one uh, uh, commentator said, God is in the big moments of life, but you know what? God is also in your bedroom on Sunday morning when the kids jump into your bed at 6.30 in the morning, a little early, and you have a choice to make. Will you respond in grace and love, or will you get angry? Will you get irritated? God is there. He's in the, what are called small moments of our lives. That's why I wept. I had been taken through God's movement of nations, and then I was reminded, and yet he's right there with me every day, saving me from my sin, having saved me from my sin, redeeming me. Will you remember that? Ruth is a story just like you and I could have. Cancer hits. Diseases come. Accidents happen. Lives are lost. And great faith is all around us. Will we participate? Will we turn to the Lord? This redemptive faith at the conclusion is one of the most beautiful pictures because from it, we see that the blessing of David, the king 
of Israel comes. But even more so, of course, the story doesn't end there. For in the gospel, we see that David, of course, begets and so forth until we get to Christ himself. Christ is of the bloodline of two foreign women, right? Rahab and Ruth. And for all of Naomi's faith, Naomi's blood is not passed on to this line. It is Boaz, Ruth and Boaz, the foreigner, the Gentile. So I think this book is about redemption, but it's about redemption of the whole world. God from the beginning has been opening his grace and salvation to all people. And it is now that that is most manifest, that we can see it the most, because now he has blessed us with the church. And the church's goal is to spread the love of God through the gospel of Christ. To where? To the ends of the earth. The Israelites did not have that mission. And yet, when people came into contact with them, some would fight, but then some would see God and turn. Now, God has created a people who are not to camp, but to go. And this is this picture of movement from foreign to family that we have in Ruth. Jesus, of the bloodline of two non-Israelites, foreigners from pretty bad places. Don't be surprised when the Lord sends people who've been in some pretty bad places, pretty bad situations, have sinned highly against the Lord, and God saves them because his blood is for all people from all nations and all tribes. And we must be faithful in our own agency to go, to pray. We pray for our missionaries often, and we pray that we need more. We more would be called. Of course, I told you last week, and I'm still sensitive to Europe, Europe is spiritually dead. Let us treat it as such and send missionaries to it like we've never sent before. There's no reason to give up on Europe. It is a people who do not know Christ. But there are many places all over the world. And yes, we must pray for the believers who continue to be faithful to the gospel, to be faithful to strong faith, to understand redemption, even in places like Iraq, North Korea, and Eritrea. Those are the three, one of the three worst places to be a Christian. I pray that you would take this book of Ruth as what it is, a joyous blessing, a jewel of many jewels in the Old Testament. And I hope you see yourself in it and can grow to this wonderful, strong faith the Lord has called us to. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful that as you chart the course of nations, you take time in this story to bring us down from the clouds into the nitty-gritty life of a family struggling. For, Lord, we are families that struggle. We pray for all those families here today and those that whom we know that are struggling, struggling with health concerns, struggling with, uh, uh, with circumstances out of their control, struggling with faith. We pray, Lord, you open your grace to them and show them that you are in control. Lord, you are in control. To fear is to think that you will not be right in the future, and to be bitter is to think that you were not right in the past. Let us never have those thoughts, Lord. Let us be humble to understand this truth. You are God, you are good, you are love, and you have power over all things. Thank you for showing us this power in the book of Ruth. We pray 
that you would show us this power daily. We would call for it, Lord, in our own lives, morning, noon, and night. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.